Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello, welcome back. A special thank you to those of you listening on Good Pods. I'm not sure I even knew this platform existed until I got email from them that this little passion project of mine is ranking on their top podcast list. The course is one to be specific. I'm not positive that really is the right category for what I do, but none of the other categories felt right either when I began. Anyway, whatever has led you all to listen, thanks, and I'm glad you're here. Today, we're continuing with the Bibliotheca. We're up to book three, chapter 11. It is much shorter than the last chapters. This will be a short episode today. So here's that chapter as translated by Sir James George Fraser, uh, probably with some edits by yours truly, of course. Now, Menelaus had by Helen a daughter, Hermione, and according to some, a son, Nicostratus, and by a female slave, Pyrrhus, an Aetolian, or if you ask um, Acusilus, by Tereus, he had a son, Megapenthes, uh, and by a nymph, Canossia, according to Eumelus, he had a son, Xenodamus. Who knows? Of the sons born to Leda, Castor practiced the art of war and Pollux, or Polydukes, uh, but Pollux is easier to say, so I'm probably going to keep using that Roman name instead of the Greek one. Anyway, so Pollux practiced the art of boxing, and on account of their manliness, they were both called Dioscori. And wishing to marry the daughters of Leucippus, they carried them off from Messini and wedded them what the fork, and Pollux had Menesilus by Phoebe, and Castor had Anagon by Hilera. And having driven booty of cattle from Arcadia in company with Idas and Lyncaeus, sons of Apharius, they allowed Idas to divide the spoil. He cut a cow in four and said that one half of the booty should be his who ate his share first, and that the rest should be his who ate his share second. And before they knew where they were, Idas had swallowed his own share first and likewise his brothers, and with him had driven off the captured cattle to Messini. But the Dioscori marched against Messini and drove away that cattle and much else besides. And they lay in wait for Idas and Lyncaeus. But Lyncaeus spied Castor and discovered him to Idas, who killed him. Pollux chased them and slew Lyncaeus by throwing his spear, but in pursuing Lyncaeus, he was wounded in the head with a stone thrown by him and fell down in a swoon. You gotta love those old translations, don't you? And Zeus smote Idas with a thunderbolt, but Pollux he carried up to heaven. Nevertheless, as Pollux refused to accept immortality while his brother Castor was dead, Zeus permitted them both to be every other day among the gods and among the mortals. And when the Dioscori were translated to the gods, Tyndarius sent for Menelaus to Sparta and handed over the kingdom to him. Okay, I'm stuck on their so-called wedding Here's why. There is a story about Helen, the Dioscori's sister, being kidnapped, abducted, whatever other euphemism you might want to use, when she was a child. This is not the whole Paris-Troy story that made Helen famous, that we most people in modern day know her for. No, this was early in her life, when she was a child. And yet, this is also how her brothers decide to go about getting their own wives. What the fork? 
As a Gemini, I'm offended that the figures in my astrological sign behave this way, especially when they tend to be kind of okay in a lot of the other source material. But this is the source we're looking at today, so instead we get them kind of being assholes before becoming immortally, immortally inseparable twins. The last line, though, is a useful little tidbit. Helen is a princess of Sparta, and somehow her husband Menelaus winds up becoming the king heir. In this last line, we get some context for how this happens, which does make me think of other discussions about lines of succession in Greek mythology. So think Oedipus. Uh, he becomes the ruler of Thebes because he marries Iocaste. So the line can't be simply patriarchal, although obviously the whole Oedipus thing gets really complex when, you know, he really is on a pat- patriarchal line, the heir to that throne. But he doesn't know that, and neither does Yocasta when he marries her. So we see something similar with Menelaus. He becomes king of Sparta because he's married to Helen. But with this um, little source here, we get that that point that it's because her brothers are dead. Otherwise, they might have been um, kings in in his place, um, or they're immortal, or there's some liminal thing. At any rate, they're in a state that really gets in the way of being a ruler. You can't be moving back and forth between mortality and immortality and also rule a city-state. Um, and I hadn't really thought of the Dioscori as being liminal beings until now, which is impressive because you know how much I love to talk about liminality. It's one of my favorite features of Greek mythology. Is that a Gemini thing? Anyway, the Dioscuri really are liminal. One day immortal, the next day mortal, constantly moving from one to the other, living in this in-between where they're never really fully one or the other, That this trading from day to day. I, I hadn't ever really thought a lot about what... It seems like that must mess with your head. Anyway, uh, what does this brief snippet of text make you think of? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. Next month, we will continue with the Biblioteca. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.